Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. All right, DC Local Leaders, welcome back. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're back with another great episode. Today, we're going to be talking with Russ Burkoff. Russ is a West Point graduate, former Special Forces, and now President and CEO of StealthPath. StealthPath is a cybersecurity and privacy company. They specialize in zero trust. He shares a little bit of information about exactly what that means and uh, takes us through some of the cool things that StealthPath has been up to for the past few years as a startup company. And uh, and then we get into him. We get into all those all those lessons that he's learned from West Point on leadership and what shaped him as an individual throughout his career and how he's mentoring others and some of his practices. We get into a discussion about cryptocurrency and um, where where privacy is all around us. Um, so we have a great time on this episode, and I'm really excited to share it with you. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you so much to everyone who's been liking and sharing all of our information and all of the comments and reviews we've received. Um, Definitely be on the lookout, please, for the website. Website, a new iteration of that website is coming up, dclocalleaders.com. That should be live within the next week. We've also do have our Instagram page up so you can follow along with many of our post on our upcoming guest and current and past guests. So please uh, take a look at those. And don't forget to tune in to Talk Tech with NVTC. We've partnered with NVTC to host a series of online tech talks or Talk Tech with NVTC. And it's a video series. So you can see it on our YouTube page. You can see it on NVTC. That's Northern Virginia Technology Council. You can see it on their page. Um, And this month, we are talking to Virginia Tech Innovation Campus. Last month, we talked to the CTO of Appian Corporation. We've got a number of cool guests coming up where you can actually get some info about some of the, the pretty innovative things that are going on in our area. So be on the lookout for that. Thanks so much for everyone tuning in, and let's get into the episode. I'm here with Russ Burkoff today, and uh, thanks for coming in, Russ. Russ is the head of a company called Stealth Path, um, but he's also former uh, former military um, NSA. He may not be able to tell us too much about what he did there, but uh, he's just got a great story. And we were actually just chatting before we we got started here, and we're talking a little bit about leadership. And really excited to talk to you about uh, just your experience. Right. No, same. Glad to be here. Yeah. One of your questions in here was talking about you know getting um, uh, engineers. Uh, how to become, you know, how to, if they want to be a leader and how to move up. And I work with a, you know, a bunch of engineers in our group. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny. They're a different, different crowd. You know, I tease them, you know, they're like, uh, squirrels chasing shiny objects, you know, uh, and they would engineer all day long. But, um, you know, these guys, um, you know, some of them I think, uh, are, uh, you know, definitely brain, brain matters all there. Definitely smart. Just got to get them into roles that will give them responsibility. And, um, you know, some don't like it, you know, some, uh, some are nine to five or, or, you know, we work 18 hours a day, uh, but they want to just do engineering stuff. They don't want to be in charge of the group. Right. Okay. And so you kind of want to find who wants to actually be in the charge of the group. Now I've worked with some engineers that have come over to the business development side and you talk about going to the dark side, you know, yeah. they were looked down upon then by the engineering class, you know, as like, you know, you sold out. You yeah. Or something yeah. Tra- yeah. It's an interesting, interesting thing to remember is that sometimes people just choose to be, you know, doing what they're doing. Yeah. You know, a uh, funny story uh, was, I read it in the Steve Jobs book and um, him and Waz, you know, they were going at it, uh, you know, building a Apple and Wozniak's father was a big time uh, engineer. I think he was either with Lockheed or Northrop or somebody out there in California. 
And um, his, his his father had like no respect for Stephen Jobs because he was not. Yeah. A, he may maybe had the mind of an engineer, but he was you know doing all the marketing and all that other stuff. So it was really interesting uh, because engineers progress society. So what you're doing over here, you know, that's not an engineer job. You're not progressing it. And um, and then you know you you circle that back when I took over um, my first company as. Um, uh, president and CEO of the PTR group, um, you know, I got there and it was a bunch of engineers. And, um, you know, I said, well, do we have a strategy? So we put, no, we didn't. So they, we put together a strategy, business strategy, and we went through all that. And they literally came up to me and said, holy cow, we had no idea, you know, what, you know, the impact of a strategy. What so, were they doing before with no strategy? If they were, I mean, they, they had clients and they, they were. They, well, like a lot of people in town is they, you know, they kind of run to who they know and uh, they, you know, or they, they came out of an, uh, a, an agency or something yeah. and then they sell back into that agency. Um, but, you know, not to understand kind of the context of the business flow and what programs are coming out and being able to do all that. And I, I don't say, I, I don't know that they didn't do that. But um, and because they were kind of uh, small, they, you know, it's, it's easy to get tactically distracted, you know, just yeah. running the business. Yeah. Um, but having the strategy, you almost got to ask yourself, what do we want to be when we grow up? You know, what kind of rec- reputation do we want to have? Uh, you know, what areas do we want to specialize in? And so um, I think that that's a, a very important dimension. You know, uh, engineering, I think, is, you know, I really had the benefit, um, you know, I, I went to West Point, West Point's an engineering school, but I didn't really practice engineering. Um, then when I got to this company, I had world-class CTO. Uh, and that's where I learned about high technology and, and doing it in real-time embedded and, and distributed technologies. Um, and that's great. You know, that's very interesting, uh, you know, a lot of room for innovation, um, you know, people sometimes get transfixed. They get limited, beca- yeah. you know, by their customers. So you end up, you know, um, kind of, uh, you know, maybe the innovation is not as great as you'd like to do it. And that's why some guys get either burned out or want to go do something else. Actually, that's some of the way we attract people to our startup is because we're doing actually cutting edge technology uh, in the cybersecurity space. For the same clients, though, for the same government agencies? Different. different. Yeah, well, they eventually will be because we have a product that will go across all agencies. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, guys want, you know, engin- you know, if you're an engineer, what stimulates you? You know, you want to solve new problems. You want to learn from, you know, good people doing, you know, hard, you know solving problems. You want to constantly be, I think, thrust into learning stuff. So, um, but the engineers I talk to, you know, we're talking about leadership. Um, you know, it, you have to push yourself out of a comfort zone, you know. Yeah. I mean, the engineering becomes a comfort zone. But, you know, when you're growing up in, in high school, you know, those are these other guys in the business classes or the yeah. other guys in the management classes or the other guys that were, you know, doing, uh, you know, maybe uh, emotional intelligence classes yeah. or something. I, I, you know, so uh, those are, um, I think those are all important, important aspects. Um, but but the, the, the neat part about being an engineer coming into wanting to be a leader is that you do understand the leader, the uh, engineering component. You know, what is what do you, you know, what is the developers need if you're developing, you know, and, uh, you know, understand all those nuances. I mean, I think that's important, but um, you really start changing your spots. You know, you're, you're trying to round yourself out. You're, you're going to move away from engineering. You're going to uh, move towards some level of business development because you have to understand that. You're going to uh, look at your organization. You have to have a business plan. Uh, you have to develop a strategy. You have to start going out and socializing with, you know, other yeah. colleagues and not just the colleagues, but your counterparts and other companies and things like that. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think those are just skill sets, right? I mean, I think we were talking earlier about, um, yep. you know, you, you just got to put that engineer, if they do have the desire to make it into leadership or to, to I, I don't know why I feel like it's a jump, right? It, <laughs> there's some sort of bridge to jump over, just like, I guess, if you were not an engineer, there'd be a hurdle to jump yeah. over to learn. But it, it, um, just quickly, I would say it's not that they don't understand it. You know, when you read something in school, in a book, you understand it. But it's the practical application that is really, you know, uh, the, the real leap. I think that's yeah. the real leap is to understand working with other people, you know, developing. And so, you know, reading all day long, textbook, everything. I've seen this happen before. Uh, folks showed up. And uh, they gave a textbook answer. Beautiful. That was the answer. That was the easy part. Yeah. It's the execution 
and how the organization absorbs this and buys into it and, you know, and, and, and doing that. Yeah. And I think giving up on the idea of needing to be right at all times too. Right. Or, or just, ha- you know, having to prove the point. It's, yeah. You have to well, keep your ego in check is good. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, I always like to say that I want the, the best idea to win the day. I think that's healthy uh, to have that uh, environment. You don't want to shut anybody down from having any kind of uh, uh, opportunity. I mean, I, I actually don't want yes men. You know, yeah. I've, I've got guys in, in our company literally that, um, you know, and, and that was something I brought when I was in Special Forces and the Green Berets is they didn't, no one, no one, believe, no one agrees with you anytime, you know, yeah. everybody's got their, they're so opinionated and strongly opinionated, you got to listen. And that's a key skill is listening, um, you know, regardless of, you know, at least they want to be heard, whether you yeah. go with it or not, you know, so. Is that where you say, is that where you think you, you might have learned uh, a large part of your leadership skills oh, like yeah. in, in the military, especially? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, even starting out at West Point, you start from day one. I mean, that's really kind of a leadership laboratory. And, um, you know, you get little responsibilities here. You know, you got to learn how to follow before you lead. That's all good. Uh, you learn to be humble uh, going into special operations. I went in as a senior officer, like a senior captain. And, um, you know, there are a lot of younger guys there. And you just got to learn to be a private first. And uh, the uh, complexities, the sophistication of the thinking and what's going on, the physical, physicality of what's going on. I mean, uh, you can't walk 25 miles and uh, don't do it, you know, not be in good enough shape to be able to fight at the other end of that and be able to, you know, so you got to lead men doing that, you know, and you got to, you know, got to handle different, you know, situations. I think um, for the leadership part also and special forces predominantly because you do a lot of strategic support. You know, you support a lot of the different theaters strategically um, in some mission or, or some way, shape or form. Um, we call it a complex leadership model where you're basically, you know, want to give good guidance and give good descriptions and, and kind of intent of what guys need to do and then you, you turn them loose. So, you know, you have to have faith. You have to give good guidelines. Everybody's talking and, you know, you got to be able to let these guys go run their own operation. Taking that into uh, Stealth Path and some of the other things that you've done, what, um, how's that helped you kind of set up that same sort of procedure or that same sort of structure within your culture? Or just Sure. I have a lot of respect for the engineers, those guys that we had. I mean, this is the beginning of a startup. Uh, I, I came on board two years into it. So we had to have the engineers on board that uh, were completely focused. But the the real innovation leadership was really what I was looking for that I brought in from, from some people that I knew, uh, some colleagues, some friends of mine. Um, one was a pre- former pre- White House presidential fellow for cybersecurity, worked at General Motors. Uh, he brought in another guy that worked at General Motors as a CTO. Uh, worked, ran Ally Bank, essentially, uh, developed their digital products. So we bought, but we brought guys in from big companies that had the full experience, understood what it was like to have a thousand engineers versus six, but they knew what the end state needed to look like. And, uh, and they knew how to get there and how to do that. And then we, um, we run a pool of our engineers out of North Carolina and we're feeding off of a lot of the finance uh, industry out of uh, Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And so there's a very, very talented group, you know, seen a lot of stuff, um, guys that want to do cutting edge stuff. It just so happens that the, the guy that I brought in uh, that was a presidential fellow, he's, he's a real visionary. And, um, you know, we started down this path, the zero, you know, stealth path, but the zero trust path. And uh, zero trust is emerging to be a bigger deal than, than ever. Uh, especially after the solar winds uh, attack that you recently heard mm. about, and um, so he um, actually uh, started his career. He was a West Pointer also, and started his career in the nuclear command and control space. And so uh, he had a phenomenal foundation of really how to, you know, approach the kind of networks and you know the kind of things that were um, uh, espoused by other uh, zero trust people as never trust and always verify. Is that what zero trust means? Like, yeah, just never trust, always verify. But everybody's putting their own spin on it these days. Yeah, um, you know whether it's zero trust or not, they put in zero trust. We do zero trust. Um, the beauty about what we did, and we took our thought leadership, and we led with that, and we built this model. It was a capability and maturity model that allows uh, um, that is agnostic to product, so you don't have to. 
our products uh, fit into it, and we use the model to innovate from the products for for, uh, for our products. So what it does is because you know everybody has um, invested a ton of money, and they bought Cisco and Microsoft and Palo Alto Networks and everything else. So there's a ton of money that has been spent out there. Now a lot of guys have been reporting green lights, but you can't report a green light when you get hit by solar winds. You know you gotta you gotta back up and kind of hey maybe we need to approach this differently. Uh, our model, um, you know, allows you to use all these other products and assess your capabilities and then take a look at your risk around the gaps that you have in, from the model. And then our particular products, uh, which is one product, our main product is called Z-Alert, which is spectacular, uh, allows you to pretty much fill a lot of those gaps in that model. But the zero trust piece, what we do uh, is we're able to uh, check every single communication between every endpoint in the network all the time. So it's not a perimeter once in. A lot of people are calling it zero trust, and we really check the perimeter. Perimeters, uh, that's getting that's not working. Even the, the defense in depth is okay, but it's just not really working. And once someone gets in, uh, they uh, have you know they figure out a way to get credentials, and they start moving laterally and moving around and starting to mm. see what's going on and, and stealing things. Uh, in our case, um, you know, we we are checking these all the time, helping you get to a steady state. So, what is normal behavior for your for your network, and then being able to report any anomalies that come up. And so, you're, we're doing what they call continuous monitoring. And there's no other product that we've seen out there that does a continuous monitoring like we do, um, 24/7 all the time on you know what's going on, and then report those anomalies. So when you get down to that, you, you want something granular. And um, if you're not, you know, it's hard. We, we, we basically say you're not really doing zero trust if you're not doing continuous monitoring. And so how many people do you have in your, in your company total now? Total, including our 1099s, uh, we have 23. Does everyone have military experience that's within your organization, or did you seek that out on purpose? Or No, no. no. Um, there was no, no you know, prerequisite for having any kind of military. It was really your, just your expertise of what you brought to the table and, um, you know, your desire to, to drive forward and with the uh, company and what we're doing. You mentioned something earlier that especially for a lot of small businesses, especially in the tech space, and especially those that are, are servicing the federal government as a client, that it's important to know what you want to be when you grow up. Yeah. What did you, I, I think I know what you meant by that, but what did you mean by that? Well, it's, it's, it's really, a, I mean, you can do a, a mission, you want a mission statement and you want to, you know, be able to have the organization oriented to someplace so you, you know, you know what you're doing. There's a lot of companies that are uh, chasing 25 meter targets and they're making money. But, you know, um, you know I, I actually resented that when I, there was one company I went to, you know, they, they call them a butts and seats company, yeah. you know, staff you know, augmentation right. Kind of staff thing. augmentation. And, and it's like, you know, we, we have no product. What do we do? Well, there's really nothing. So what do we hang our hat on? You know, you know, or we're ethical or, you know, got, you know, you know, good spirited people. No one's been in jail lately, yeah. you know, something like that. And, and you're small, right? Yeah. You're small business. So it's like, <laughs> oh, well, we get to say we worked with the small business, but you're kind of right. So, I mean, I, I, so I always wanted something that we could hang our head on, uh, some kind of focal point. Um, not to say, I mean, there's people in town that made millions of dollars doing butts and seat work, you know. But to me, I, I wanted something, I think, more tangible and, and for a, a focal point. You know, we want to, uh, for Stealth Path, you know, we're looking to be the um, security and operations uh, behavioral management uh, for uh, any uh, high available industry. And that that's ubiquitous right now. That I mean, that could be any industry right now. And we're specifically focused right now with the critical infrastructure, and in utilities, and defense. And then our next uh, leap will be into healthcare. I think healthcare can be just as big as any of those uh, right there. Well, and so when you're putting that together, there's certain inflection points as a business. Yeah. How do you manage getting from one to the next? And then what I've heard in the past is that the leadership has to become a different style of leader or learn how to be a different leader as they go through different inflection points. Because, you know, let's say from, you know, zero to 10 million or maybe even yeah. say zero to 15 million, you're a certain type of company and you can be a yeah. certain type of leader and get a certain kind of thing done. But let's say when you're a $30 million company or a $50 million yep. company, it's a different, different game. No, you're absolutely right. Um, so you get more complex. Um, you know, the, um, you know, the sophistication increases, you have to, um, formalize more functionality in your organization. 
So as you get bigger, you might have to bring in an HR person. You know, you hire more marketing people. You know, you start bringing up the sales. As a startup, everybody's wearing many different hats. So the functionality is still there, but it's yeah. the same people, okay? Right. And, and then as you, you, you increase in, in money and sophistication because you're going after bigger contracts, you need teams of people to do stuff. Uh, and that's where, um, yeah, it is a different leadership style. And you do have to realize that and you do have to um, evolve yourself. Yeah, I mean, I would think with your military experience, you're you're pretty good at delegating and managing teams of people that also have teams of people. Yeah. But now you're you're a little bit further removed from the people. When you're a smaller company, you get to affect everyone. Yeah. To be a part of their daily experience. But you yeah. no longer get that. What How does that make you, like, as a leader, what does that do? I mean... Or how well, do you get the people that you lead yeah. to do the same thing? I you mean, do? if you if you talk to other small companies and they're bigger now or medium sized, and oh, I remember Joe, we used to sit down at the diner, we drank coffee, we made all the decisions for the company, and that was you know those are the good old days. Now you're hopefully bringing on quality people that you can give guidance to, and they can give you feedback from the line. But you know, I found throughout my career, especially in the military, that um, the the thing that we really wanted was good guidance. You know, well thought out guidance. Number one. And number two, the Army has a, a concept called uh, commander's intent. Really, what is two levels above you doing? What are, where are they trying to go? And that's kind of like uh, use a purpose, means, and end state kind of model to think about that. And, and they, I think it's very helpful, you know, because you're talking to those subordinates that have to, you know, walk out and execute something, you know, and you want to make them accountable and you want to be able to hopefully um, be able to articulate what that end state we're all looking for. Yeah, well, it sounds like that's how you're building that culture in your in your company. I mean, if you had to put a name to it, what do you think, you know, say like three things that would describe your culture? Um, I, I think innovative. I think yeah. that's really the attractiveness of everybody um, that's coming. Um, collaborative, I think, is huge, is the other key uh, trait. And then uh, unity of effort. Yeah. Um, you know, it all is synergistic, you know, um, if, for this kind of... And, and you got to... You know, it's funny, um, you know, it's like guys spinning plates on sticks. You know, you got to keep all the plates going at all the time. So those are the key ones, though. I think, you know, uh, the essence of what you're doing is innovation. Um, you know, you uh, you can't really be that successful in doing that and, and part of the unity and be and have a unity of effort without collaboration and good collaboration. So that's the kind of synergy I think that uh, we, I've tried to achieve at Stealth Path. All right. Well, I think uh, anyone listening has got a good snapshot of Stealth Path. Yeah, good. Um, you know, but I want to talk about you. All right. Um, you know, you as an individual, we talked about your military experience, and you've done a couple different things and worked for some government agencies, um, NSA, and I think. Um, so you had many different responsibilities, but you've continued to grow as a leader. But, you know, what are you doing? Like, how do you maintain a certain mindset and the motivation to continue to do that? Yeah. Um, you have a morning routine. Like, what's what's your day look like? Oh, my day, um, yeah, it's, it's probably unsensational compared to, uh, I mean, some of these other guys are very, some are pretty aggressive, I mean, but I, me personally, I could have left the military, changed my uniform, put on a suit and walked in, done, done the same thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of folks that do that. They just don't, you know, that's just how they're moving on. Um, that was different for me. I wanted to seek out challenges and put myself in uncomfortable positions and that's what my I look at on my career. My resume looks like that on LinkedIn. I've I've gone in. I've this is my second president's job and CEO. Um, I've uh, done different things uh, where I constantly put myself in that challenging position because my real driver is learning. If I can't be in something where I'm learning, uh, then I have a real problem with that. So that was kind of my drivers that pushed me forward. Is uh, you know being in these challenging environments meant learning, and I like that. And so, and then you just start building all that up in your own bag of tricks, along with everything you did in the military. And now, you know, you're, you're, you actually uh, can really figure out who you want to be and, you know, where you leverage that. That's what I'm doing with Stealth Path is I'm moving, you know, trying to grow some something out of nothing. Yeah. I mean, it all adds up, right? We hear that message a lot, that it all adds up, that whatever you're doing, um, you can take something away from it and every experience you have is a learning opportunity. And I spoke to some people recently and there's a few books out there that talk about their careers being more of a jungle gym than it is a ladder. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And, and there's something to say about diversity um, and get exposed. Um, but there are a lot of commonalities. Um, 
you know, the, uh, the, the things, you know, people learn in the military. And they talk about, well, do they transfer over? You know, I've gone, I've seen, you know, the military uses d- different decision-making templates. Then you go to Franklin Covey, Franklin or Franklin Covey, and they have their way of doing stuff. And all. It's almost the same stuff, just yeah. renamed, repackaged. And so you start seeing all that because I've been exposed to all that. And, yeah. you know, um, so you find that successful people um, have some kind of blueprint or template that they've been using that uh, is, you know, what's pretty much the same. Like, what does the military do? It's not Mars. You know, they don't have no a magic secret. And then you go over to a big company like maybe Goldman Sachs or something like you know, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to, you know, check this out. What are the logistics around it? Who's in charge of this? I mean, you just, it's just. Yeah, you know, it's So the more I do with like leadership and the more books I read and, and I'm a big, um, a lot of yoga, a lot of spiritual growth, a lot of personal development, a lot of therapy, a lot of psychology books. What, I, what I've been learning is that uh, human beings are hackable, but the idea <laughs> that like, you know, we, we had, there's a certain way that we could. Uh, develop our mindset and our thought process to be successful. And it, it carries over from the military, uh, large companies, small companies. The process is going to be the same. And actually, you read enough uh, books on personal development, leadership development, psychology. It's all the same message, just packaged in a different way yeah. that may resonate with the reader slightly different from the other one. And that's okay. Yeah. Sometimes the military is more formal because they have to be, you know, because you're yeah. dealing with people that might have to make uh, split this split second decisions on people's lives. Yeah. So it's got to be a little bit more structured, more regimented, you know, but, um, and that's where, you know, military people, when they cross over into the civilian, I mean, that, that you can, you can almost feel sometimes the intensity is the same, but you know, there's no life or death, but, uh, you have deadlines, you have, you know, you're trying yeah. to move the needle and, uh, so it's it's good to come in with structure. It's good to have these templates. I I think um, that uh, the, the other big thing about a lot of those templates, though, is you can't stop thinking. So you just not one size fits all. Right. You know, it's it's a guide, and you need to look at those. Right. You know, your the context of your situation, your environment, what's going on. You know, might change. Um, in fact, someone might make sure you have an, uh, you you have a culture or an environment where. If someone has something to say, they can say it. That's going to be, hey, maybe we should do this differently this time, you know, so they can, you can make those uh, adaptations. Yeah, they don't feel like they can't, um, they can't speak up or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's bad. That's, that's not yeah. what you want, you know. Yeah. You really want, uh, you want it to be a, um, you know, a collaborative, collective effort. You know, a lot of times, you know, in the military sometimes it's like, hey, I don't need a consensus here. You know, like uh, we got split second decision and this is what we're going to do and let's go do it. Um, you do want to, uh, though, if you have the opportunity to make sure that you have the listening because you have a lot of senior people in the enlisted ranks uh, or the non-commissioned officer ranks that want to, uh, you know, you want to get their experience. You want to get their perspective on this. Uh, you know, as a, you know, I remember I was a young lieutenant and, uh, you know, uh, you come in, you're very idealistic, you're very hard charging, you know, and, uh, and then you're like, let's, let's take that hill and, uh, and the other senior enlisted, uh, senior NCO, I say, well, sir, you know, maybe that's not the best way. You know, maybe we should try this. You know, so you got to make sure. Those are those are early lessons learned for me. You know yeah. that uh, listening is probably the most uh, important uh, characteristic to uh, begin your leadership um, uh, track or path. So you've got you've got enlisted folks that are actually more experienced in certain things than some of the officers that they report. Oh, absolutely, to. absolutely. Yeah. How does that does that cause any sort of? Do you have to learn how to navigate that um, in the, on both sides? I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, in the in the army, um, yeah, it's um, it's it's an interesting relation. It's kind of a, a give and take. The um, special forces is kind of funny. The enlisted will do everything. The NCOs will do everything, and pretty much uh, the officers in charge of rapport. You know, just get out of our hair. You know, or. Uh, the beauty of that is, um, you know, I can turn to my um, senior sergeant major and just say, hey, look, you know, I didn't see the guys were shooting that well. That's all you had to say. They set up a whole training program, whole plan. They put somebody in charge of it. And now we're, you know, we're working on that. So a uh, very talented group, uh, a lot of experience, a lot of maturity. Um, and so um, if you're smart as an officer, uh, you leverage that because it allows you to do a lot of things right the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want. You know, you don't want to not have that kind of venue open up for you, that kind of um, uh, input into your, your psyche to be able to do stuff. Yeah. And that was a very solution-based 
interaction there. It's it he, like they immediately put a, a process in place to improve their shooting. Oh yeah, just based on that, it wasn't uh, arguing about well, you know, we've you know we haven't we haven't had much time at the range or like well, you know, it was that day, it was windy or whatever. The right. It it and I bet that transfers over into civilian life, especially in business, that to be able to think solution based when that enlisted yeah. when they come out. Um, that carries them, I'm sure, far. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of competition set up. Um, when I was in armor and the cavalry and in and, and Germany and 11th Armored Cav Regiment during the Cold War, so way back when, and um, Table 8s, they call them, you know, where you're uh, running your company, uh, your tanks down these to shoot for accuracy and everything else. I mean, it's good to, you know, to get a high score and to come back out the top gun or something like that. I mean, these are all good things. You don't want to, Say, hey, we just went to war and I survived. I guess we trained pretty good. <laughs> right? Right. So, yeah. So, you know, it's it's good to have these kinds of, you know, the training is is important. So, like, um, even for us at Stealth Path recently, you know, to transfer that over to a couple of things that we've gone after and we want. Um, we recently won the uh, IBM's new Think, Build, Grow uh, competition and it was a global competition. So winning that was a big deal for us and introducing zero trust and artificial intelligence, working, you know, with some IBM folks on coming into that. But that was a big, that was a big deal for us, you know, and um, we just turned in um, last Friday uh, uh, application to compete for um, Pace Pilot, which is a big automotive news uh, recognition that we actually uh, were recognized last year as an honoree. Same thing, you know, we want to be able to, you know, and, and, and that's does come down to some writing and everything else, but the bottom line is you're you're really echoing your actual what you're doing and how you're impacting the automotive industry or uh, with IBM how you're leveraging artificial intelligence into something you know that's going to move or progress society. So how you write all that up, but that's that's good for the organization. I mean that you know when you it's interesting you know when you're you know you can talk about things all day long, but when you have to start writing a paper about it, yeah. You get more clarity, you know. You you know how does that sound on paper? What what are, what are we actually doing when you start writing it down? It says, oh, we need to probably write that differently. So I think those are good exercises for the organization to kind of solidify, almost like a milestone where they're at and what are we doing? You know, how do we say exactly what we're doing? And and it's a collaborative process because you don't have one guy just writing and, and sending it out. So I think that that's. Part of the glue, I think, the collaborative piece that I think uh, helps us out is to uh, write some white papers. You know, we're looking at, you know, proposals. Guys are writing proposals. They're, they're defining what they're doing to solve problems. Uh, I, I think it's uh, there's huge benefits from that. Yeah. I mean, that's even – I do something similar to to that with the, the podcast, right? When people ask me, well, what's it about? You know, I, I can tell them. But then if I had to write them an email about what it was about. Then it's like, because I can say a bunch of stuff in about three minutes, and I think I have a way of like being energetic about it, and people, they, they get what it's about. But when you have to write that down, first of all, you don't want it to be terribly long to where someone's never going to read it. <laughs> you uh, probably have, you need your own little mission statement. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I had mentioned, uh, like the Joe Rogan hour, you know, or, or yeah. three hours or however long it takes. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's interesting because, you know, you want to make it personal, and Joe uh, Rogan, you know, he basically... You know, he gets beyond the polished finish of people, and that's really the essence of kind yeah. of what he's doing. So, uh, and I think it's it's interesting. It's interesting, you know. Elon Musk had his moments on there, and yeah, uh, <laughs> he's like smoking weed or whatever, talking about space. Exactly, he, he blew up a spaceship. He's like, well, we got other ones, so it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's and that's really sort of. I wanted to replicate something similar to that with this podcast. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of how I built this, mixed with. Uh, Brene Brown, Tim Ferriss, David Goggins, some Tony Robbins. Like, you know, what is it that's making you tick? I mean, yeah. Um, like even now, like, are you still doing PT? Or you come, oh. you have a military family, right? You have daughters that are also in the military. Yeah. Was um, your yeah my your parents and all that? Too? No, uh, my parents not really. My dad was um, two years uh, in during the Korean War, but um, that was it. Um, of course, my uh, um, grandfather came over and was in World War One as a doughboy, and then my two uncles served in the Navy during World War Two. But there was no career uh, military, um, so I was really the first. And then uh, both my daughters got accepted to West Point, and they served in one served in Iraq, one served in Afghanistan, um, and they got out. Uh, they're you know um, pursuing their careers and families. And uh, my son-in-law, also a West Pointer, of course, uh, you know just by uh, 
proximity, I guess, is yeah. where they met each other. And, um, you know, he spent 10 years and very successful guy. Um, my father-in-law is, was a career military, which is interesting. Okay. So my wife was a military brat. Uh, but yeah, you asked if I still do PT. Yeah, I'm, you know, I've, I do, uh, you know, as you get a little older and you just gotta, you know, be smart to sometimes tone things back. But I also play competitive ra- racquetball when we were playing before COVID. Um, was, uh, you know, avid runner. Yeah. You know, and um, did some spinning here once in a while. Now I do spinning more often because it's more COVID friendly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You have a Peloton to... and you did yeah, you get yeah, in all that? You yeah. Did? Yeah. I did. I, I wanted the experience and um, I, 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 you know, when I, I was able to, you know, shut down my gym club, my gym uh, um, membership and had pretty much paid for the Peloton. So, yeah, it's Go good stuff. Have at it. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I think I was telling you the other day, I'm, I'm running 40 races before each 40 oh, uh, right. or that was the, uh, that was, I mean, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'll figure it out. Um, 40 marathons or well, 40 10 Ks or I think the, the average run has been 10 Ks, okay. right? I, so I did this thing where I, I said, Hey, I'm going to do 40 races before age 40. And then I progressively in good David Goggins fashion made it harder as I went along for some reason. And people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> like no one knows about this, but you, um, so I had all these rules that were around it, but I think, you know, what I, and, and what I found was the, the length of race that I can find more of in this yeah. area will be the 10 Ks. Okay. Right. So I've done a couple of half marathons, Good. big Spartan race runner. So I've done, um, the, the trifecta, uh, was 2018 and, um, any, any triathlons or biathlons? I do want to do a triathlon. And I found, I wanted to ask you about that too. I talked to a couple other folks that uh, run some companies in the area. They do triathlons. Mm. And um, I, I wanted to do it because I thought, here's this hard thing that I can set out in front of me and accomplish it. And I'll probably learn a lot about myself along the way. And I, and I have been learning in part of the training is that, um, you know, physiology and psychology are pretty interrelated. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we hold tension in our mind, we can hold it in our body too. Likewise, um, you know, pushing through some of those, um, those inflection points and those thresholds psychologically, you know, we do a lot of the same thing, uh, physically too. And they seem to be intertwined. You know, it's it's interesting. You talk about physical fitness because, you know, at West Point, that's like one of the pillars you know, they have, uh, you know, the leadership piece is great. Um, but athletics and then academics is the others. And, you know, the um, the uh, athletic piece, I think they put a big emphasis on it because of the competition, you know, not only keeping yourself in shape, but the mental, you know, the mental uh, kind of gear that you have to develop. So, you know, that's carried over for me. Um, you know, it's, it's I think it's healthy. I think, you know, uh, you're doing something for yourself, um, especially this day and age when you're doing business. I mean, you can work 25 hours a day if you want. And you don't have to get up and there's plenty to do. And you got basically virtually all the resources you want on your laptop and, and uh, you can go, go, go. I think it's, um, you know, you need to stop. I mean, when I do PT like once a day uh, for try to get an hour in, mm-hmm. if I can, uh, it's, um, you, know, you, you know, you need to do it for yourself. You have to sustain your energy to run your company. So being in shape, you know, both right. mentally and physically is a big deal. Um, and so it's easy to get uh, that COVID-19 wrapped around your middle yeah. there, you know, or on your fanny. You know, I mean, this has been the big test is, you know, you're, you're before uh, you were a couple steps away from the uh, kitchen in the office. Now you're a couple steps away from the kitchen at home. Right. And, and uh, the couch and the, you know, <laughs> and the TV and yeah, everything, else. everything else. Yeah. I mean, it's what I so even with the triathlons, they folks have said takes discipline to, it, to train. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the event. I mean, yeah. the event's probably the easiest part. That's the deflation. Yeah. It's like all the buildup, too. Yeah. We, I was talking to someone else. We were talking about skydiving and how it was similar, where it was like the experience of it was way different from what we made it out to be in our minds. Um, I'm done. I'm done. Have you? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I'm, well, I, I got like 87 jumps. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, it's great. It's, it's an amazing feeling. But from the ground, someone telling you, let's go up in this plane that works just fine and we're going to jump out and hope that this piece of cloth <laughs> is going to take care of everything. Right. Sounds like a, like I don't want to do that, right? And um, we were talking, we did DC Skydive. There's another guy. Um, was it Tandem? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And it was fun. And I've done it multiple times. 
but it was just very different from what I thought it was going to be. And, and they said the same thing about training for the triathlon, that it, it actually isn't about um, hurting, right? When you're training, you want to get just to the point where you might be sore the next day and then back right. off. That's right. Because it's about consistency. The idea is to make sure that you can work out every day and sustain a certain level every day. Now, that level will probably go yeah. up yeah. the more you do it because the object of the, of the race is to finish. Yeah. Right. Three separate events. It's not just finish first and then you can worry about whether or not you're going to tighten it down. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. And, um, I mean, that's in in the military, you take that in and, and I, not to completely divert back to that, but, um, you know, the training, you know, you're right. You, you have to recover, sleep, recover, and do more stuff the next day in the military. You don't always necessarily have the uh, convenience of doing nothing and resting all day. So, um, but you got to be smart about it. And I think that for me, when I came into the army, especially in special forces, where you really get in touch with the kind of, um, I guess, uh, how your the cycle of your body and your food, what you're eating, how you're, you know, you're sleeping, how you're, what, what activities you're doing. Uh, you really get into cause you're always running. Yeah. Okay. You're always lifting weights. You're always doing some kind of PT. You know, like Friday was, uh, ultimate football you know we're knocking guys shoulders out of their sock and stuff like that but um but um no i I think that um it's it's good that i always looked at balance and consistency trying to sustain it because it is about for you know doing something like that sustaining um i remember um going on these marches and things like that and i didn't know about this until i read about triathlons but you needed you know it was good to have a drinking program and an eating program while you're doing something so I found every 20 minutes, I'd drink some water, whether I needed it or not. Turns out at the end of the hour, at the end of the hour and a half, I was doing my pee. I felt great. Yeah. Okay. And you weren't getting dehydrated. And, and then at the ever, every 30 minutes, I take a bite of a granola bar and something like that. So um, that was, you know, I was kind of triathlon training, but that's the, uh, you know, sustainment, you know, and being able to be strong at the end. Yeah. And that's a lot of awareness. Yeah. I just heard you speak a lot about some awareness of like learning your body, learning the cycle of your body. And just being able to humble you. I'm not thirsty, but drink it anyway because you're going to need it. And this is just how your body works. Or like for me, it's I I do a lot of CrossFit. And sometimes I can get into that mindset where, um, you know, I feel like I want to do it. Right. And I want to do it and make it harder than it has to be because that's somehow going to prove that I did it better (laughs) or that, you know, I don't know where that comes from. Right. It's good it, when you're young to do that. Yeah. When you get older, well, you yeah. break something, you know. Yeah, I'm pushing 40. <laughs> There's no reason to do this. There's no medals waiting for me <laughs> anywhere. And even with, with like those uh, those runs I was telling you about, like, you know, the question is, like, what if you get to 38? Yeah. Then what? Like, what if what if you did 38 by 40? Yeah. You know, for me, I'm like, well, I'll just do 41 before 41 and just change the rules and make it like there you a go. different number. Yeah, that's right. That's but right. Increase the, you know. Well, it's good to have those those kinds of goals. My my son-in-law does that with, uh, I think, 15s, 15,000 uh, mount, high mountains, you mm-hmm. know, for uh, feet. Uh, and there's like how many 15s are in Colorado? They're in Colorado. So we did 15s here, 15s there, and trying to reach in, you know, and do that. that that's kind of cool to do. Yeah. They, um, there's, there's a run called, I think, 10K at 10K. So it's a 10K run at 10,000 feet. Oh. Um, but, you know, I, why do you think we do that? Why do we pick these round numbers? Um, <laughs> like, you know, like it's, I'll, I'm 30, I'll be 38 this year. Why did I pick 40? Why not, why not 39? Or why not, you know, why, why the well, end we, we think like that in increments, decades increments yeah. or 10 year increments, five year increments. Um, unless you had something big happen when you were. Like my dad did this by the time he was 39. I want to do it by the time I'm 38 and beat right, him, beat you know, him. something. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I was, someone else introduced me to a book called When by uh, Daniel Pink. Hmm. And it's kind of, it, it's centered around that. Why do we start diets at the beginning of the year? Oh. You know, why not just the 17th of any random month, just change your diet, stop eating this or start eating that? Yeah. Like why, yeah. why has it got to be, you know, oh, well, I'm going to make this change. No one. You know, no one does anything new on a Thursday. I'm going to wait till Monday next week because it's the first day of the week right, and we start right. fresh. And it's like, why is that psychology in there? And where else does that trickle out into into what we're doing on a daily basis? What uh, it, I mean, what kind of stuff do you read? You said Wall yeah. Street Journal. but what? Oh, yeah. I always read the Wall Street. I like the Wall Street. Right now I'm reading um, a book called uh, Modern Warriors by um, Pete uh, Hegseth from, uh, I think he's with Fox News. So it's interesting 
trials and tribulations of um, some soldiers that uh, have, you know, gone, either lost a limb or, or, or uh, done, done something, uh, you know, valorious um, yeah. uh, over there. It was it just a, it's a real personal take on, on that. And, and at the same time, I, I really like a balance of stuff. Uh, the other book uh, I'm reading is a guy named Thomas Siebel, who is, um, I don't think they say, I don't know if they, he runs a company called C3.ai. Uh, book's called uh, Digital Transformation. It's a multi-billionaire, uh, almost like the father of AI in a lot of ways. And um, so that's a really interesting book, kind of gets you up to speed these days. If you are wondering what, you know, AI is doing, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, blockchain, you know, yeah. and all these other things, all these other terms and what's going on. Um, the one author I really like is uh, a guy named Michael Lewis. He wrote uh, The Blind Side, uh, Moneyball. Um, great book that he wrote, I found, uh, was called The Undoing Project, uh, about uh, two Israeli professors uh, who won the Nobel Prize on really the psychology of humans and, uh, you know, how they think. And, you know, what are our tendencies? It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so those are, I like, a, I like a variety of stuff, but uh, like Malcolm Gladwell, you know, guys like that. And um, You just mentioned blockchain, and every time I, I hear blockchain, I don't know why, but it makes me think of cryptocurrency. <laughs> Did yeah. you get into any of that or? I didn't. No, it's, no. I mean, it's, it's, you know. Um, I guess being in the cyberspace, you probably have a different opinion about. Well, we use, uh, we're working blockchain in our solution on some of our solutions. So, it ha you know, it has, you know, it has some great, you know, great effect, you know, in, in that case uh, on what we're trying to do with it. Um, but if you look at it from investing uh, I mean, you're you're really it's like Vegas. I mean, you're yeah. still it's Wall Street, it's Vegas. It's you know you're taking a risk. Yeah. Everyone I know that's gotten involved with it, they just remind me of other people that I know that are in like seven different online poker games at once. <laughs> that's just what they they're like. They're talking about this coin and this coin and this coin and this coin, and it just it just reminds me of those folks that are just like yeah, it's um, it's it is it is a risk. And you know, look, I mean, you might want to you know take a couple grand and uh, play with it. You know, as long as you don't lose sleep over losing it and, uh, you know, you might enjoy it. It might be, um, you know, your, your gateway drug into yeah. uh, doing more. I don't know. But uh, yeah, you know, with some of the stuff you mentioned just just now, you're talking about someone who may have been the father of AI um, and being in the space that you're in and, and just seeing. I mean, there's different like intelligence is one of those words that's a. it's kind of like it's like saying you're a doctor. Well, what do you do? Are you an optometrist? Are you a heart surgeon? Are you this or that right. engineer? What does that mean? Do yeah. you electrical engineer, this kind of engineer? Um, same thing with intelligence. But um, looking at some of the stuff that AI is really doing and even AI is one of those terms. Yeah. Right. What does that actually mean? Um, does any of it scare you? Um, you know, it's really interesting you ask that question because um, I wrote my thesis um, at the Naval Postgraduate School back in 1997 on artificial intelligence and foreign policy decision making. And uh, so that long ago, and it had a lot to do with um, the uh, kind of uh, challenges that our leadership is going to have in the future and how artificial intelligence uh, might help them, you know, and, uh, and reduce the barriers that they are dealing with and things like that. Um, the, 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 one of the ultimate questions was, what, will the president ever, you know, turn to an artificial intelligence um, solution or uh, entity to make a decision of what, whether to push the button to send nuclear uh, missiles, you know? So I don't think so. I think the, the biggest thing out of AI that I learned, and this is when it was really emerging uh, in some very esoteric spaces out of MIT and NASA and everything else in the, in, the, in the late 90s, I mean, it was really starting to come online, uh, was um, that it be, you need to look at it as an assistant. Um, mm -hmm. There's so much more data out there now. And if you, if you have and use artificial intelligence to help kind of uh, funnel that data into something that now you as a human can do and, and, and make a decision off of. I mean, there's some things that as a human you don't maybe don't want to do that make the decisions because they're, they're they're not that important. So you can leave AI, you know, to, to do that. You can set the set a set of rules for it to take care of and make and make that. But ultimately, when I was when I was writing my thesis, is that um, it it just allowed you to move yourself forward in a more expansive way by using AI as an assistant uh, to human decision making. Yeah, and I think you know AI is a lot of things. It's it's every it's like using Microsoft Excel when you 
when you run those formulas. That's a form of AI, really, because you could yeah. have gotten your calculator out and figured out what, you know, whatever number the standard deviation of this or the cash on cash sure. return of that or whatever the words are, right? Whatever yeah. calculation you're doing. Same thing with, um, I, don't, I guess maybe because um, the crypto was on my mind when we were just talking, but like, you know, you can set up that if it goes below this amount, um, you know, buy more. And, and if it goes above this amount, set, like, you know, whatever the, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, and that's a form of AI because otherwise you'd sit there in front of the computer and have to do it. Right. Um, same thing with algorithms and, yeah. and collecting information and then figuring out what it means. I think companies are doing that to sell us T-shirts and pants and whatnot. Yeah, I think you can be smart about it. I mean, now you can stay focused on something that you really need to make smart decisions of. You can take advantage of this plethora of information that's out there, run an AI engine on it so it can filter it and, and, uh, and um, kind of condense it for you and maybe give you you know options and make you more effective. And, and that's, to me really what I wanted to use it for. Um, there's there's a lot of, you know, it's really interesting. You know, it's, it's it, you almost can parallel that to getting a new phone every year. And uh, you get a new phone, it's got all these new features, and they show you all what all these people are doing. I'm like, do people really do that? You know, yeah. you're like, they, are they just playing all these games all the time, you know, with all, I mean, it's great features. And so you, you started talking about AI and blockchain and um, robotic, and, and then you go to some of these, you know, um, uh, businesses and it's like uh, you know it's not as progressive as some of the technology out there the the time it takes for the progression at times to you know get into the mainstream it's great I mean we get intoxicated by you know all these new things coming up you know the big thing next is you know quantum and quantum computing and all that is going to be you know change it'll change that will really you know change our lives probably extend our lifetimes um you know to uh, because of what it can do in the health industry and things like that but it's it takes a little time you know and guys uh organizations they get kind of this is what we're doing we're set in this way and uh and then we'll eventually evolve ourselves you know even the um uh, a lot of big companies are you know uh, they're buying little companies for innovation you know that's how they're innovating because yeah. it's you know it's it's incubating you know because the big companies just uh, aren't as necessarily always that nimble. Yeah, I mean, and and what it would take for their capital investment and time really to set that up in house and go through the trial and error that this company has already done, yeah. um, and gotten good at it just doesn't. It's better to acuhire all of those people and try your best to assimilate them into your culture. Um, that's a tough. Just, that's been a tough gig for a lot of companies. Um, because, um, you know, it's, we're going to fit you into us and, um, you, in the small companies, you don't want to break up. Actually, their culture is their success. Right. Oh, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Like you guys, like if you were to get acquired by pick a, pick a color, big company. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden you become like a Microsoft guy. Um, and then you got to fall into their, you know, what's their playbook? What's their, you know, their game plan, you know, yeah. and that's, and so, um, I think that over the years, some of these companies have gotten more cognizant of that and have um, leave these companies off to the side, let them continue to you know, take advantage of that kind of performance. You know, we were talking earlier about um, when you when you start writing things down, how it looks differently, it frames your mind a little bit differently yeah. and stuff like that. Do you journal at all? I um, I wouldn't say I journal. I you know I carry a notebook around. I, I track every meeting I have. I'll I'll write the highlights of that meeting. I'll even maybe color it with a highlighter if it's important and I want to come back to it. Um, that's pretty much how I, I keep track of it. I um, I wish I did journal. I had a very good friend of mine who was on the uh, stock market, and you know you're making split decisions all day long. You don't get a chance to think. Mm. And I was always very envious of him because at the end of the day, he'd stop and he'd spend about, you know, half an hour or so and just kind of go over what he did, what were, you know, what went down because he's preparing for the next day because it's so instinctive, you know. So he's really reflecting on, you know, what went down that day. And I've, I've tried to push myself to do that. I probably instinctively, and maybe we all do that, but he actually formalized it and he just cut out some time. What did I do today? Why did I make these decisions? You know, you know, what was the market doing? What was that? And he was doing that kind of so the next day when he was back in combat on the on the floor, you know, it's so instinctive. He knows what he's doing. But I, I thought that was brilliant to be able to reflect on that and kind of um, move his thinking and his own personal, you know, tendencies and education along. Yeah. So that that would that to me is what I wanted to try to do 
is to, you know, if I call that journaling, but more reflective. Um, you know, some people do meditation, you know, and, um, you know, they do it different ways and that's one of the ways they do it. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I do, um, I have a morning routine where it's, I try to wake up at the same time every day and it, and it includes a couple of different things and journaling is part of that. Meditation is part of that, but there seems to be something different. Maybe I'm just like that. When I write something down, it, it, uh, it becomes more of a part of me. Like I remember it better. Sure. I, I think that's, I think it's important. I, I mean, uh, I'm not telling everybody to journal. I mean, I, I write things down. I, it, I just seem to make it, everything seems to be clear when I start writing a yeah. paragraph or a page or what we just did or what we're getting ready to do. Um, like I said, my, my buddy, he was doing it. Things were going so fast. I, I just thought it was so smart to stop yeah. and just kind of take note of, why did I do this? Why right. did I buy here? Why did I sell here? What were the intricacies of that? So, I, you know, I think all our lives uh, have the opportunity to do that and uh, just got to make time to do it. But Yeah. Um, well, that's the hard part. You know, when I first started, I was like, oh, I don't have time to do that. And then I realized it doesn't take much time to do. And then I probably spent more time screwing around with my phone than I did, you know, uh, to do it sometimes. <laughs> but... um. So when you started, so this is a startup company. That's got to be a vulnerable position to be in to say, "Hey, I'm going to leave a good thing." Oh yeah. Well, I um. So I came to this company. It was started up in 2017. I came to 2019. Okay. So kind of the first part of the company was run by the founder, um, and the founder uh, was he, this is his fourth company. So he kind of had a, uh, a magic ingredient, uh, and he studies megatrends. So he would be out studying. Uh, big intersections in the future, and then he'd see, hey, I want to create impenetrable cybersecurity. So he brings on a team of engineers. They develop the technology. They patent the technology, and then you go through uh, market uh, validation. So right now, um, when I came on board, the technology was there, but we needed to get it more oriented to the market. So I had to bring in some people. We had to look and see what the market needed, where the white space was. And we started orienting the inventions and the solutions that were coming out kind of what we wanted to be. And then what emerged out of that was zero trust. Um, the zero trust concept uh, became important. And then the other was um, the, uh, a lot of the white space out there right now that we are focused on is the Internet of Things, 5G, OT, operational technology space. So everybody, when you talk about you know, the IT, you know, the cybersecurity, you're thinking laptops, you're thinking cell phones. Uh, we're more on the machine-to-machine -machine space. You know, all these sensors are now coming out. A lot of them don't have any native security on them. So, you you know, if you think at your house, you might have a Nest thermostat or a Ring doorbell. Um, you know, the security on those is not maybe not that great or existent. Uh, you have a Samsung, you know, refrigerator, and it's talking back to Samsung and say, hey, I think the filter is getting low on the water, you know, send them a note. So those are all areas that, you know, uh, we see as white space um, because um, the amount of IoT devices, sensors that are coming out uh, is, is growing by a 25% cager over the next five years, 10 years. So you're talking about billions and billions of these sensors, and a lot of them, they don't have any security around them. So uh, our stealth path is that's our focal point. That's the white space that we're answering the mail with. And we have a spectacular uh, solution that works at a very granular level. So what happened during solar winds would not have happened if uh, you know they were if our, our product was being used. Yeah, I was smiling almost from ear to ear when you were saying that because I, I swear I had that same conversation. And they were they're like, "Oh, you're crazy! What are you talking about?" And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, like you have a camera in your hat, like yeah, you can hack that, yeah, like." And they were like, oh, but who would want to do that? Why would they want to? I was like, I don't know, but you can. Yeah. I, I went to get cable, and they were like, oh, we can give you a camera to put inside your house. And I was like, why would I do that? I was like, oh, it's easy. You just connect it to the internet. We'll upgrade your internet to a faster speed. You can have this camera. And I was like, what am I, What can I possibly do with this? So when you're not home, you can be safe. I'm like, if I'm not home, what am I, like, what are you talking about? I am safe, yeah. Yeah. And they're like, oh, but in case anyone breaks in, I was like, so I can have a music video of watching them steal all my shit? Like, why would I, like, and, and, and I was like, well, who else is looking at that camera? Right, and they was like, right. oh, no one. Yeah. Like, okay. Sometimes people have them because they have a babysitter there, you know, because, you know, yeah. this day and age, you know. No. And the nanny cams, and yeah. I guess, yeah. in, in that, um, so you're talking to a guy who's single. Or dogs, you know, your yeah. animals at home, are they in distress, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, there, it, it's, I think you need to think about it like you just did, you know. Um, you're, you're, we're being bombarded 
for with these conveniences and solutions and you got to look at your your life and your lifestyle and you got to decide hey um yeah this makes sense for me uh you know i have a a sick dog at home i want to you know keep an eye on him or um you know or the or the guy who's delivering you know who's stealing my amazon yeah boxes off have you seen these videos yeah from the ring uh, well the one that you need to see is the guy who sets them up and they open it up and it blows up and it spreads sparkles like glitter all over the inside <laughs> of their car, and they and it sends out a beacon, so he can go pick it back up. Really? Yeah, because they throw it out the window. Right. Um, you know, so um, it's it's terrible that people are doing that. Yeah. And, um, but uh, you know, the, there's you know, there's all kinds of you know, there's all kinds of different reasons to try to hedge that. Yeah. Well, you know, I was asking earlier um, about that vulnerability and and getting into something new because I wanted to ask you about. Uh, I call it the jumping off point or it's a, just a, a turning point. And, and the way I try to describe it to people is you know, you're doing something that you, you, you know that you can no longer do, but you're unsure what to do next. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's a very, I mean, I've been there personally. Um, you can get there professionally and personally. What's, yeah. you know, what's an experience of yours? that? Yeah. Um, um, I mean, a lot of times, even in this job, um, you're trying to figure out what's the next step, you know, or th- something's just not moving the way you wanted it to. Um, you know, we're trying to do uh, what we call a friends and family. We're trying to test some of our products with some people, and you know, you're you just uh, it just seems going slow. Like you know, what's what's going on? I um I I think in in, in something to thread through. You know, kind of when we originally talked, uh, open up this discussion about you know engineers becoming leaders. Um, I think that the, uh, the you can't ignore the importance of a of a network of building a network, of being exposed to how other people are solving problems. Um, in this D.C. area here, which is really growing as a technology hub in a lot of ways, um, all the conferences that are going on, they have Potomac Officers Club, they have all these different clubs that you can go to and be a participant in. Um, so that network is important because when you do get a, a kind of stuck, you can reach to your Call it your your go to guys. You're in kind of little inner circle or mentors. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and and talk about it. See what they see what they might think. Um, and I set that kind of group up in my own company for me. And uh, I have my own uh, internal um, senior technology panel. So there's four of us, and um, you know each guy has different experiences. And so uh, allow them to uh, you know allows me to address you know situations and problems, et cetera. And it's not limited to that small group. But it allows me to then I can also reach out to other, you know, contacts I have in town that I've known for the year, through the years and just get their thoughts on stuff. So I, I think that's extremely important on everybody's development is, uh, you know, who their reach back is to their group. And it's not about I'm going to go to these meetings and collect a million cards and everything else. It's really about, you know, talking to some people, finding out, you know, developing a relationship with these guys. Uh, that you trust and that they, you know, they have good thinking and, you know, yeah. that, that kind of stuff. It's about asking for the help, asking for advice from people who, yeah. who've been there and, and, and know what they're doing. And it doesn't have to be a one size fits all. I, I think that. And it's both sides, you know, they'll come yeah. to you. Yeah. And the last, you know, you want to have that, you know, want to have that kind of um, trust and respect and credibility with uh, some of the people that you talk with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's people that I would consider to be mentors in my life that I meet or I talk to you probably once every few months. It's never like a, uh, but it's when something comes up, either they have a question about something involving commercial real estate or something else that I do, or maybe podcast or so on and, and and same thing. And and then I have, I have different people in my life uh, that I would consider mentors for different reasons. You mentioned how it's a diverse group and that, and it's not only just that group. I mean, I've got guys that are uh, early forties that have a wife and kids, right? So they, they're kind of the guys that I look to for that sort of relation because they're making it work. They've yeah. got a healthy relationship. They still have these kids, nothing happened to them yet. So they're still, <laughs> going, you know, right. Um, so, and then I have other, you know, guys that are just clean on their finances or, you know, women, you know, that are just know how to, how to dial in on, um, budgeting and doing stuff like that. I don't, I, I mean, I, I have one that I'm thinking of and she's just fantastic at it, right? She's a financial advisor. It makes sense. But, you know, I, I've been, I've been enjoying this at my age, um, and later in life here. And, um, you know, I've, I've got friends that have tremendous amounts of experience. You know, they've some gone through ups and downs or gauntlets and, uh, and, uh, some experience in commercial experience in government work and, you know, or were former government and now, you know, commercial. And, uh, 
So it's um, no, it's it's enjoyable uh, because you get the the wisdom factor. You know, you know, you devolve wisdom, and it's just yeah. you know. So it's it's always fun to kind of tap into something like. Well, that. I mean, I've I've really been enjoying our, our conversation. I, I you know I think um, I could probably sit here and talk to you all day, but I know. <laughs> then I get have. into the war stories, and you don't want to hear those. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, well, for for anyone listening who heard you talk about. Uh, stealth path and wants to get some more info from you and and yeah or even just wants to grab coffee with you and learn more about maybe they're transitioning out of the military yeah uh, how do they get in touch yeah easy um i mean um i'm on linkedin so uh that's easy and my contact information is on linkedin uh stealth path is uh, we just we're updating our website here in the next uh, probably week or so so that's going on um but um you know it's easy to we have a contact through there is easy yeah. So, yeah, I'll be more than happy uh, to help anybody uh, coming out and transitioning from the military. Um, I've, I've already worked with some folks. Um, I'm a member of the foundation uh, station, helps um, Gold Star kids, uh, you know, parents that were uh, killed from sp- in the special ops space, uh, you know, and they help them out. And a uh, member of the uh, Green Beret Foundation. And uh, really, you don't have to be a member of a foundation to help anybody uh, coming out and, and uh assist them in the transition or help them with resumes or, you know, how to interview and things like that. All right. Well, thanks so much for uh, sitting down and having, having a chat with us. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for the invite. Take care. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders on Instagram at DC Local Leaders or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you're a business leader and have questions on your lease and how it impacts your business's opportunities to grow or have questions about the market, you can reach Philip directly at philip.nathram at transwestern.com. He'd love to speak with you. Until next time.